TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Chuck on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome in. Mackie and Judd today is actually Zolgad and Declan Goff, our producer, my co-host today. Mackie uh, taking a couple days off here. He'll be back on for Monday's show, and then we'll have uh, some time off right before Christmas. We've got um, some Wolves to get to. We've got, obviously, Vikings Keys, which is such an important part of the Friday show. Uh, But before we go any further, Declan Goff, uh, we have some... Now, it's breaking news, but it's also combined, and this is the best day because of this. It's combined with this. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Trade talks. Juicy rumors. Oh, yeah. Regarding the Minnesota Twins, now, Declan, people might say, well, hold on. Well, hold on Judge, Judge, you can't do this. this you is can't, classic. You can't combine breaking news with reckless speculation because if it's reckless speculation, it can't be breaking news yet. You're just going to be speculating, okay? I'm making an exception here to the rule, and here's the exception. When Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, when he does this... Reckless speculation. I think this. Because he's so plugged in. Correct. So, like, this is not a just, and this is no insult, but this is not Twitter. This is not some dude who has thought of a good idea, and and we welcome Which those. Which we entertain, yes. Exactly right. Them. Let me make this very clear. We welcome those. But this is Ken Rosenthal, longtime baseball scribe, The Athletic, Fox Sports, in the no, I'm going to read this to you. Okay, go for it. And then, and then you can. I think you are going to be giddy by the time I'm done. Oh, I, I can't wait. <clears throat> might twins think? Might twins make a move? It's short. Is the is the subhead for the question? It then reads like this from again. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. The Twins, like all teams deep in young talent, are drawing trade interest in their upper-level prospects and major leaguers under long-term control. The potential to deal one of those big league players, second baseman Luis Arise, creates an interesting scenario in which the Twins could move shortstop Jorge Polanco to second and either sign a free agent shortstop or trade for a 2021-22 free agent at the position <clears throat> Say the Indians, Francisco Lindor, oh. or the Rock, or the Rockies, Trevor Story. Oh. The likelihood of that of all that occurring is not terribly high, but the idea is not without merit. Okay. All right, I gotta. I, I didn't wear an undershirt today, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't because I'm, I'm ready. Back up from the microphone. Back here. up from the microphone and cool off. Okay. Um, okay. So just to just to reposition what I just read you. Okay. Yeah. It is reckless speculation, correct? But it doesn't come without Ken Rosenthal having talked to people about trying to put the pieces of the potential Francisco Lindor or Trevor Story puzzle together. Right, right, right. The Twins do have—I don't know if surplus is the right word—but they certainly have some controllable, good young talent. Your thoughts on what if? These, if this move was made, would be an immediate 
win now. Like, this yes. is a no BS. Correct. This is not, man, it's going to be fun in 21, but wait till 23. This is, this is likely a player that you might get and lose, but before you do that is a win now move without question. The floor is yours. Judd, the first sentence in the article, okay? The first sentence. Because this is, again, not just BS. This is from Rosenthal. Quote, the Twins, like all teams deep in young talent, are drawing trade interest in their upper-level prospects and major leaguers under team control. So he's already reporting that the Twins are receiving calls and or shopping some of their prospects and major league ready players. Now, it's been a dead winter, right? There is no winter meetings. Ranchi's been as cold as it's possibly ever been for for hashtag hot stove season, right? It's very boring. Very boring. But the fact Rosenthal is already throwing it out tells me that guys like Falvey and Levine and the Brain Trust are looking to upgrade and go all in in 2021. And if that means... You sacrifice a Luisa Rise who's entering what is like second year of team control of, of five year of team control. If that means even Jorge Polanco who's probably on the most team friendly deal in all of baseball. Yep. And if you can still land a guy like Trevor Story or Francisco Lindor and go all in on the twenty twenty one season. And one more pitcher for sure. For sure. But even let's just let's just look at the, the microchasm here of of upgrading at shortstop. Arguably the most important position on the field offensively and defensively. And those two guys in Trevor Story and Lindor, arguably the top two dudes in the league at their position. Yep. If you can do this and then also still have someone, by the way, by the name of Royce Lewis in your system, ready to be the shortstop of the future, you are setting yourself up for success. There's a no-lose situation if you acquire one of these guys. There's zero lose. There's zero risk. Do it. Absolutely do it. Nothing is guaranteed in baseball. And especially with this organization, I'm sick of the wait till 2022. We got one more year. You don't know that. Nothing is guaranteed, man. Go and make this trade. If that means saying goodbye to Luisa Rice and or Jorge Polanco, I'm for it. I'm for it. Reckless speculation. If it's Lindor, what are you giving up? Well, you're giving up. So let's just say it's a rise because they want a major leaguer to yeah. turn. Okay, let's just say it's Luis Arise. So we'll just start there. But like, what? Okay, so now what's so the trade? So then it's then it's a rise. Yep. And here's the thing: Cleveland are kind of a bunch of buffoons when it comes to these trades. So they're still going to ask for someone. I think they'd ask for someone like Kirloff or Lewis. Twins you, will say no. I think you have to. Yeah, you have to. But they'll ask. And I think, but what is more realistic that the Twins would give up would be the Larnicks, the Rookers. Maybe Balazovic, maybe Duran. Okay, so they're going to. I'm basically saying I don't think the Twins would trade Lewis or Kirloff to acquire Lindor. Okay, so Cleveland will ask for him, but I don't think that happens. So let's go down the path here of what you would do then. Okay, arise for sure. Arise for sure. That's your major leaguer, Larnick. Larnick, yeah. And they want probably one more because here here's the th- here's the thing where they're a little bit stuck. If he had years left on his contract, they get way more. Right. But like any team, no team is going to give them the farm, no pun intended, um, for a guy whose contract is about to run out. So if you want Arise, Larnick, and then a prospect that we don't even think about, yeah, the tenth best that would have to be it. Yeah, and I think that's a fair trade. And that's trade. a lot to give up. And that's a fair trade. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have trepidations on making okay. that trade. Okay. Of course, I'm running the Twins in this scenario, but yeah. That's fine. 
Would you have, would you prefer short term, possibly? Would you prefer Lindor in division trade, which bothers some and not yeah. others, um, and having Larnick and Arise possibly haunt you, or Colorado, where Story would come to you instead of Lindor, and you would then send, you know, two or three people to the National League and basically be done and mm-hmm. not have to see them. Well, well, so I have zero trepidations trading in your division. If you can get the right trade, then you just do it. I, I have no problem with seeing that player in baseball's case 18 games a year. That doesn't upset me. Those 18 games a year aren't going to be what defines said team's season. Okay, so if, if, if Jose Batista hits, you know, 55 home runs and 40 games against the Twins, I don't care. I don't care that that happened. Um, I know the Blue Jays aren't in the, in the division, but I'm just trying to make that example. Like, I don't care what's happened so against these, in, in these games. I will say, I think the likelihood of acquiring someone in, in one of these two dudes, it's more likely that it's Story than it is Lindor. Um, Story, although, is entering the same situation. He is also going to be a free agent after the 2021 season and is about, I think, on the hook for $17, 18000000 million for a 2021 mm-hmm. in the last year of his team control. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely you get... Someone like Trevor Story over Francisco Lindor. I mean, Lindor's probably a top five player in all of baseball, and Trevor Story's more in the you know fifteen to twenty, twenty to thirty range. But if you can get one of those positions, like like Jorge Polanco is a good player, yeah, but, it's a solid player. But Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor are leaps and bounds better than than Jorge Polanco. Yeah, and Polanco Polanco is being forced to play short, but he's not a great and shortstop. He's not a great shortstop, and both he'd be fine at second base. And both I think. Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor, I, I would make the case are probably. Two of the top five best all around two way yeah, fantastic players. In, in Absolutely MLB. right. Absolutely. So here's where I think it's not likely, but I think the door is open for what Rosenthal is speculating on, and it makes some sense too. To your point, 2020 so far has been a disaster as far as players aren't moving, the market is frozen, we don't know the rules. Teams, um, aside from the Mets, for the most part, aren't going to spend much because the losses that they incurred during the uh, past summer were fairly significant, if not huge. This intrigues me, Dex, because you have an opportunity here with a very good team, but a team that has lost 18 consecutive playoff games. And I don't care how far back that goes. You've lost 18 consecutive playoff games um, you have a chance to, in some ways, jump the line here and make a move that is going to make you potentially, if you do this right, as competitive as possible for 21. And I guess my question to the Twins is this. What do you perceive about your window of opportunity here? Mm-hmm. Uh, because because the Donaldson move was a, and you definitely get credit for this, was a win-now move. Um, but this team seems to me to, yes, they've got prospects, but they seem to me also to be in a position where if they make the right moves, they could go into whatever the 2021 season is going to be extremely competitive, if not one of the better teams in the American League with a move like this. Yes. If you add a little bit of bullpen help, starting pitching help, right? So, and the one thing I think that we haven't discussed enough is, Hopefully, very soon, with a vaccine here, uh, the pandemic is going to end, right? The pandemic is going to end, and people are going to be excited to get back to going to bars, to going to ballparks, to going to arenas. 
My point being is, as bad as what we're going through in 2020 is, it's not going to last forever. And when it ends, I think there's going to be lots of excitement about let's get back into our lives, right? Yeah. If the Minnesota Twins have been aggressive during what appears to be a downtime now, and you've got, let's say, Trevor Story at shortstop, you've added a starting pitcher, and yes, some of those moves might be deemed to be short-term, but if when society gets back to going to things and being excited about things, your ball club is really exciting and really good, that's going to be a pep in the step that will put you ahead by miles as far as fan bases are concerned. And so this intrigues me because it's not fair, but the Twins now have had enough success in recent years where the playoff losing streak, I think, Declan, has people rolling their eyes. Totally. And they're like, well, show me something. Like, you're okay. Totally. Okay. Central division titles are cool. I get that, right? Home but, run records are cool. Yeah, but do something. Yeah. Like, you're kicking the dog here or something, or you're kicking the, you're, you're like, move, do something. And so far, playoff wise, they have not. Now, let's say they get into the playoffs. And the the d- division certainly is going to be more competitive in 21 because I think the White Sox are going to be potentially damn good. Mm-hmm. But let's say they get into the playoffs again, and now they win some games. Now there's excitement. And so I think that there is a case to be made from a business standpoint that doing something like this and landing a high-profile player and literally saying, we don't know if we can keep this player long-term, but we're going for it, right. is going to engage a fan base that I hope very soon will have reason to be excited about life and baseball and sports again. So, it may, you know, if you give this some thought, it makes some sense to when when the cloud of 2020 starts to lift yeah. to say, hey, hey, look at what we got here. Exactly. So I love it. And Rosenthal points this out, too, in the in the – subsection of his twin shortstop piece. And he's talking about Cleveland here, I believe. He says, they probably do not want to sign for one year and then compete with Lindor, Story, and company in the open market next offseason. Actually, I think he's referencing the twins there. So he's saying that the twins do not want to sign for one year and then compete with Lindor and Story and and all these other guys for just the one season then watch them haunt him or or whatever. But he also says this to end the article, which I think is also very important. But teams likely will be unwilling to give them multi-year commitments if they are interested in younger, flasher, flashier members of next year's shortstop class. That's why I'm saying I don't think it's a no. It's it's a no lose situation to acquire one year service of someone like Lindor and Story, while at the same time your your insurance policy is Royce bleeping Lewis. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. So I, I I don't I don't even understand how this like this is setting up for perfect situations. Also, let's say all right, let's go down the path again. If if Lindor and Story end up signing long-term deals. Yep. And then Lewis either is forced to move positions, but you still have him or you're still you still have Lewis in your cards to make another tr- like I I don't see a path where this haunts the Twins. I see zero path, and especially if it's giving up Louisa Rise and let's just call it Brent Rooker or Trevor Larnick. Like you're basically you're giving up a position at second base, which is the most expendable position in all of baseball. You can find second baseman anywhere. And we don't know how good the kid is. And Louisa Rise, although I he, like him, but we don't know. He's for a sure. three. I think he's a three hundred hitter who doesn't hit bombs, who doesn't hit for power, and he does, and he has a great eye at the plate. He's a he's a solid hitter, but he doesn't move the needle in the lineup. He's a good top of the lineup guy, and that's it. And those guys are expendable right now. You've got me convinced. Do it.
Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Trade talk. Juicy rumors. I'd put the percentage chance at about 10. Yeah, I think that's But I fair. love the idea. I, I, I think it's and I do genius. And I do think that there is something to be said for coming out of the pandemic with a tweak where fans are like, whoa, I got to get Twins tickets. Right. It'd be genius. If, if you land, I'll even say if it's Lindor. I mean, Story's a nice player, but Lindor is a top five player in all of baseball. That, that sells tickets. That one 100% sells tickets. It'd be humongous. Story, Arenado. <laughs> and both. Yeah, both of them. We'll send you Donaldson and a couple prospects. <laughs> All right, uh, Wolves, last night. You, you're still on uh, – you can't watch, right? I can't watch. Because of Fox Sports North not being on <sighs> I, 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 YouTube TV or what? Hulu, it's not on Hulu, right? Yeah, I'm going to give this – I'm probably going to give it at the do? end of the year. I'm probably going to give it into 2021. If there's no steam and if there's no deal, I'm probably going to have to figure out a new plan. So you can't – you you would – I think you're okay now – my observation of you is if we if the wild starts to play. Yeah, I'm gonna need hockey. Because I don't see you not watching hockey. I need hockey. Well, and m- more specifically, I think I need the wild. If it's not the wild, you won't I, be happy. Yeah, if, if it wasn't the wild, if the wild weren't playing or anything, I probably wouldn't give a crap. But uh, I need I need the wild. I come to you with wolves talking points. All right, because because Dex Dex, I am a sick man. I watched the entire game last night including the OT. I flipped a football late. So I started, I watched from opening tip the entire game. I am all in. I don't know why exactly, but I am. All right, Wolves talking points. Number one, and these, for the most part, positive points. All right, wow. Now, I I believe they trailed by something like 18 or 20 late in the game. Malik Beasley hit two or three threes. Uh, They started to come back after Dallas uh, put its starters on the bench and ultimately rallied for a 129-128 Overtime victory. Uh, talking point one, though, Jarrett Culver. Okay? Jarrett Culver was, in his first year with the Wolves, a disaster from the free throw line. He was absolutely <laughs> atrocious. 18 points last night, 5 of 12 from the field, and most importantly probably f- for him, 6 for 6 from the line. I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that Jarrett Culver is going to be a savior because I don't. But I do think with what he can bring potentially defensively, which, by the way, this team is going to need badly, I don't know consistently where the defense is going to come from, and I don't think they're good enough to outscore teams. So I do think that the Okogis and Culvers are going to have to play. Like, they're going to have to play them. Um, But I think with what we've seen from Culver, the new shot, uh, he looks, I think he looks stronger. Yeah. That I that this is going to go from being what appeared to be an incredibly questionable draft pick, not because of desire, but just because of talent, to what could be a solid pick. Not a great pick, but a solid pick. And again, I will point out the most important thing to me and the most important question when the regular season starts and they're going to start on Wednesday against the Pistons at uh, Target Center is where is the defense going to come from? And Jared Culver can at least help with that. This note from Dane Moore on Jarrett Culver last night, who was on our show a few days ago. Friend of the show? Yep, friend of the show, as I like to say. say. Uh, Covers the Timberwolves very well. He says, Jarrett Culver is 7-for-7 from the free throw line this preseason and nine quarters of play. It took Jarrett Culver nine games last season in 21 attempts to make seven free throws. So, I mean, even if this guy finds a shot, 
he's going to be an automatically better better player. And he was he was what he was drafted here to be a defensive prowess guy, a nice energy guy. Yeah, he just couldn't shoot at but all. He couldn't really last make year. a basket to save his life. Yeah, and if he can at least develop some type of shot, and towards the second half of last year, I believe he started to he started to hit some threes and he started to find it a little bit. Now those were twenty five games that were arguably maybe meaningless, but I think it is development. And if he is on a steadier path here, that's only a good thing for the Timberwolves. Absolutely. So that that is point one. That is a a ray of sunshine on a team that in the exhibition schedule should have been 0-3, right. but b- because their subs basically came in and rallied them, uh, finished the preseason 1-2. Second guy, Anthony Edwards, okay? Yeah. First two games against Memphis were probably pretty questionable. Now it's his first two games, so like you can't weigh that. You can't be like, oh, man, he's not playing well. Uh, last night went 5-15. Uh, of 15, from the field, 17 points. First quarter, though, absolutely fantastic. And he can hit threes. He can hit shots. Nice. Uh, I think it's going to, again, take some time. But here's the thing I don't see, and I might be wrong here because it's it's too early to be judgmental in a good or a bad way. Uh, Dex, I don't see physically, and I don't see how he plays necessarily, the direct comp to our guy, Wiggy. Like, I've seen that comparison. Yeah. Oh, man, he sort of disappears. And he might. But, and this is going to sound weird. I think if he disappears, it's in a different sort of, of way. Okay. Um, I think that he has, I this kid has the ability, I think, if he engages to be a very good player, I don't see the exact same, when he's not playing well, though, I don't see the exact same disinterest that we saw. Andrew basically disappeared completely. I don't think this guy is going to do that. I think there might be times where, where he needs a talking to. Sure. So don't get me wrong here. Um, but in watching him and and his physical ability and how he's built, um, I don't necessarily think you're going to have the exact same frustration because the thing that drove you crazy with Andrew is when he applied himself, it's like, oh, my God, this guy's fantastic. In fact, I saw it last night. Yeah. Golden State, same BS. Yep. And people are like, I'm sure they're like, oh, Steve Kerr has unlocked Andrew Wiggins. It's going to be fantastic, right? And he looks, and when the highlights are on and he's going well, he looks great. I think this guy's going to have, I think in this case, we're talking about a player who definitely could have some shortcomings and is sure. going to have to learn. But I think drawing the direct comp to, oh my God, it could ha- happen again. It's probably, if nothing else, premature. And... I believe from what I haven't been on any of those Zoom calls. I don't know if you have, but it seems like the kid's pretty ad. Like he's a little more animated. Yes, and and I know there was you know everyone made it the humongous deal the pre draft story of like well actually I really didn't really care about basketball I was more of a football guy I wanted to play football and then that's where the Wiggins comparison started blah 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 I still think people were misreading that quote and misreading the whole and I sort of like that position of that article and I sort of like that quote in some ways yeah me too he seems like he has a little bit more fire with him. And I'm not trying to say that, well, the fiery guy is automatically the best basketball player, the best athlete in any sport. But Wiggins was, let's this be is, honest, yeah. as boring as it got. And you could, you, could, you could feel the disinterest from Andrew Wiggins. I don't think we have seen that from Anthony Edwards. I think that Andrew, the difference between these two is this. I think Andrew Wiggins was athletically checked out. Edwards is not. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to have some problems, sure. and it doesn't mean that he's going to be engaged constantly, but 
Wiggy always struck me as the type of guy who at any given time, if he applied himself, could go off and be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And most of the time was like, but I don't even like basketball. This guy, I think, I know that, that he's got the football comment that people basically ran with. Yeah. But I think he likes sports. He does. And I mean, this sounds pathetic, but that's a good starting point. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so stupid to say, um, but there were so many times with w- Wiggy where I just thought, he doesn't even really care about that. Like, what does he love? And I think the answer was probably video games. Yeah, his and dog. That his dog. Yeah. So, so we saw a spark last night. That's a good thing. No assurances that this kid is going to be fantastic. But I do think that if there's problems, they're not going to remind you directly of what what we saw from our guy Wiggy here for a few years. Um, let's see what else here. Oh. Bad news for Phil. I wish Phil was here. So Nas <laughs> Reed, <laughs> Nas Reed came back and played last night. Oh yeah, actually played twenty six nineteen. So he he saw extensive time. The fans love Nas Reed. Um, I got bad news for Phil though. Uh oh. I'm going to go through the box score for you here. Okay. <clears throat> and read you some names: Declan Goff, okay. Layman, Akogi, Towns, Beasley, Rubio, Culver, Edwards, Reed, Noel. Herman Gomez, Vanderbilt, Hollis Jefferson, McDaniels, and Haggins. What name didn't I read you in a preseason I, game? Uh, I didn't hear Nas. No, you did hear Nas, but because of Nas, you didn't hear another name. The leader of the team. Cat. Ed Davis. Ed da- oh, Ed Davis. For God's sakes, Judd Solgad. That's where you needed. Okay, yeah. That, that's Mackey's the guy. The basketball whisperer, Phil Mackey. That's Mackey's guy. That's Mackey's guy when he told us Ed Davis, right, from oh, the God. Knicks? Yes, he's going to yes, leave. Yes. He didn't even get in a preseason game. Oof. Hey, he's uh, he's waving that towel and, and keeping keeping the boys fresh. But know? remember the whole thing? It. Like, it's, if you don't play, if you don't start, that's fine, okay? For sure. But how are you going to have any cachet in the locker room when you don't play a minute in a preseason game that, by the way, went into overtime? Not a good start. Poor oh. Phil. I think Phil. I think Phil might have hitched his wagon to a guy that... Might not make this team. You might be uh, bringing it up next year, but um, I saw some interesting tweets about Ricky Rubio yesterday. Did this make the notes? Uh, It did not. It did not. But go ahead because I've got some thoughts. So I I saw some tweets and from from other local media people and and some other fans as well that were just saying that it doesn't seem like Ricky's been like much engaged on the court. Wasn't doesn't seem like the effort's really there. Doesn't really seem like he. You know, the, the whole tenacity that he talked about, holding people accountable like he said he was going to do in the offseason, and maybe he's still doing that behind the scenes, but on the court at least, it didn't seem like he was very interested in, now it's preseason. Right. But some people saw that he seemed a little lackadaisical so far in these three preseason games. I saw those notes too, and I watched the entire game again last night because I'm sick. And um, <laughs> I'm not sick sick, I'm okay, just sick, say, uh, I'm just please, sick in careful, the head, I don't have that. COVID. Um, here's what I saw last night. Okay. And I, I noticed this in the Memphis games a little bit, but it really stood out last night. In the first half of the game, I think it was the first quarter, Ricky got a partial breakaway. And and uh, just to note, D'Angelo Russell did not play uh, because he was battling a minor injury. And so Ricky played more. And in the first quarter, so he got a partial breakaway. And Declan, I'm not kidding you. And I don't know if this is time off. I don't know what. Running down the floor, it looked like me going down the stairs in the morning. Uh, it wasn't an effort problem. Like it wasn't that he wasn't trying. He just looked a thousand years old, and I don't know why. And I mm-hmm. and it, it might come with, with time. And again, the, these are Wolves preseason. 
observations. Yes. So, you know, keep that in mind, just to be fair. But Ricky looked like he was, I would say, the nicest term, lumbering down the court. And I don't know if he's just not in shape yet or what. Uh, I would not say that I'm seeing that he's not trying, but he does not look engaged. And I think it's because he looks old right now. And I don't know why. So do you he, do you think he then he is indeed coming off the bench to start? What yes. do you think? Yes, I think. I know some people are. It seems like people are split on that. They don't know whether if he could be arguably the best backup point guard off the bench, or would his services be better used as a starter? He still did, and and I know that his stats improved once he left the Wolves and went to what Utah and then the Suns. Yep. Um, his shot is still a shot. Hmm. Now he did do what Phil likes at least once, if not twice, last night. I think he did drive and score. That's good. Uh, but when he's when he is shooting his shot. Yeah, it looks the same, Probably. and that might change too. Right. Uh, but no, I think long. I think uh, short term, when the Wolves open the season against the Pistons on Wednesday, I think he comes off the bench. Okay, I think he does. Last Wolves thing, which is actually a Mavs thing, Luka Doncic. Oh yeah, is so much fun to watch. Now I will say he, he's got uh, he has the the old Thelenitis because he complains a lot and it gets old. Cat does. Or Cat has done in the past the same thing. Like every call he does not get, he complains, which mm. I don't like a lot. Sure. Um, but this guy is a one-man show. Like he is constantly, it looks like, jabbering. He is a great player. He is a dynamic player. They they took him out of the game last night. He went and took a camera from a camera guy and was taking oh, shots. It was the, great. I saw that. But I mean, he is picture. this, he is exactly, when, when we talk about what do sports need, this is exactly the kid. Absolutely. This is the guy. It's fun. Absolutely. It's great fun. And I mean, this, he's a special player too, but uh, he put on for an exhibition game, essentially what amounts to a one man play. So, all right, that's enough. Wolves observations. Let's, uh, let's wrap up today's show uh-huh. with the always important appearance by our good friend, Keys. Oh boy! Now I had to go find him last night. Uh, I had to go find he, him. Was he off drinking with Stella again? I had to go find Did him go last to night. I just was going to say I had no. I had to go to Lakeville to get oh, him. God. I had to go to Lakeville to get him. No mask. Oh boy! No mask. The dog. No mask. Oh, as well, Stella God, and Stella. Keys hanging out, sipping on drinks. Is I it, said, "What it, are you doing?" I went in, masked up, dragged him out, and I said, "Keys, you got to do your damn job. We need keys." And, and this is normal for for Stella to have this kind of behavior. Oh, yeah, my dog. Oh, yeah, of course. Ste- Big Ste- drinker. Stella and Big wine Stella, drinker. And Stella and Keys, too. So, like, when they get together, yeah, it's just well, hell. Yeah, well, Keys drinks the mixed drinks. Ste- okay. Stella's more of a wine Wine gal. Dog, yeah, okay. wine gal. Interesting. Exactly right. All right, so Keys to a Vikings win against the Bears on Sunday. We have four of them. Okay, I'm ready. I think you're going to like this one. Key number four, Mitch without a hitch. All right, I can't believe I'm saying this. I can't believe Keyes has to say this, but he does. The Vikings have to be at least partially consumed with the fact that Mitch Trubisky might have a good good game. I'm not joking. Now, I know that Houston stinks, but the Bears um, beat the Texans last Sunday 36-7. And Mitch Trubisky in that game, who lost his job, got his job back, and is probably not coming back. Completed 24 of 33 passes for 267 yards and three touchdowns against the Houston Texans. He has started the past three games, and in those three games, Declan Goff, he has seven touchdowns and two picks in that time, 
And I believe both the picks came three games ago in the debacle where the Bears' defense didn't show up against the Packers in Green Bay. So seven touchdowns, two picks in three games, not bad. But the last two games, he has been even better. So Mitch, without a hitch, could actually be a concern. I never thought that going into this game I would be giving you a key that involved Mitch Trubisky and actually being concerned about him. Yeah. But I don't think that he can be dismissed with the way that he's played of late. I'm not I don't know how concerned okay. you have to be, but I don't think that you can here, dismiss him. Here here's where I will poo-poo it as I will Go right ahead. Uh, as we'll explain on Purple Daily. This is Mitch Trubisky. He is one of the most incompetent quarterbacks in the league. He's coming off two insane See, insanely good performances against the Lions and Texans who are dumpster fires. I but where I will You're right about that. Where I will come around to you in a way. And, and you don't have to, by, by the no, way. No, no, no. You don't have to. No, 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 no. Keys no. is back out in Lakeville at the bar again. I get it. Until they have to close down at I some get point it. in time. Even though he is, in my opinion, one of the most incompetent quarterbacks too, the in the league. Yep. He has the Vikings number. In six starts, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky is 4-2 and two against the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, and by the way, all of that in the Mike Zimmer era. So Mike Zimmer, vaunted defense. Six career starts. Mitch is 4-2. and two. Now, I believe one of those starts technically counts for the Chase Daniel game. Because Mitch did yes, start to that game. He did. So it's more, is it probably three and two is probably the more accurate assumption. Regardless, he's won the majority of the starts against the Vikings in his career. Okay. So it is a little scary. I get that. But it's Mitch It's Mitch Trubisky. If you lose to Mitch Trubisky, dude, pull the plug. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be I'm gonna be more than a couple Seltzers in on, on Ventline if that happens. Well, I will a- ask you a question. Who starts or who plays consistently at corners, especially in the nickel because as bad as Chris Boyd can be, yeah. Chris Boyd for the most part is better than Chris Jones and Chris Boyd is now on IR. They brought that Mark Fields the second off IR, but then they put him through waivers and, <laughs> and he, he got, got claimed by Houston. No, seriously. I know. So you've got Dantzler, right? Yep. You got Gladney who I you know, they're not great, but sure. I like them. Yeah, yeah. But in the nickel, Gladney goes inside and now as far as I can tell, uh, Jones is going to have to play. Like, this is my concern. Oh, oh, and Kendricks is out, which means that they're going to almost certainly, the Bears, use their tight ends, right? Yep. To pick on your linebackers. I'm just giving you some problem. Oh, like, you're, like, you're right if the Vikings defense is pretty good, but it's really sort of suspect. I and, and, and I get that they've had some games statistically. But answer me this. Do they consistently pass the eye test? No. They don't. No. You know, I mean... I'm sorry, but TB12 for what? The first two series last Sunday looked absolutely awful. Like completely lost. As you like to say, cooked. Cooked. And then Bailey misses the field goal. Brady picks on on Jones, right? So, I don't know. I, I just I just think that there is a... You're going to have to be concerned about Mitch Trubisky. I hate to say that. That just sounds so bad. Yeah, I know. All right, key number three. Under pressure, the Vikings offensive line has to do, and I mean this one, and yes, Kirk can help a little bit, but they have to do a better job of protecting Kirk Cousins after he was sacked 10 times and pressured, basically hit Dex, Mm -hmm. 26 times in the past two games. 14 against Jacksonville, 12 against Tampa. The Bears are third. Or I'm sorry, they're 16th in the league with 30 sacks, 
But the Jaguars were last with 11 sacks going into the game two weeks ago, and they had four against Cousins and company. So if the Bears pressure Kirk and you're trying to pass, there's problems. But Dex, 10 sacks, 26 pressures, past two games. The offensive line must at least get back to where it was playing, let's say, a month ago. And I'm not trying to insinuate that was great, but that sure beat this. I, I Dakota Dozier is a very good human being. Do you okay, know that? I've, I've, I have no idea. Yeah, he is. Guy. He's a nice guy. He looks like your science teacher without his football pads on. He mm-hmm. has glasses on. I, he literally looks like an, like an elementary fifth grade science teacher if, 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 if you saw him on jeans and casual clothing. Okay. He's a nice guy, okay. but the Vikings need a desperate upgrade there on, on, on this offensive line. I think Ezra Cleveland's a nice piece. I don't think Garrett Bradbury's a world beater, but I think he's a solid center. Brian O'Neill's probably one of the most underrated tackles in the NFL. There's pieces here that can work, but one weak link on this big offensive line, Judd, and we all know that the, the, then the dam breaks. It just takes one little one little crack in the armor, and this offensive line is going to crumble, and Kirk Cousins doesn't have the mobility or the word that I used on Purple Daily yesterday, awareness, to That's escape the word. pocket. Doesn't have the Bravo, awareness. great word, great word. Cordell Cousins, Kirk Fick, he's scrambling for his life, not because he has the ability to do it. So, yes, I understand. Yes. So, and th- that against this Bears team could be a big problem. That is key number three. Okay. Key number two. We're working our way up oh, to I the see. top here. Yep. So, we're, we're going four, three, two. Yeah. Always start from the bottom. Just in time. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Just in, just time. in time. That's right. It's Justin Jefferson <laughs> time. God bless America. He had, he had four catches. For 39 yards last Sunday in the loss to the Buccaneers, okay? He had eight targets. In his first game, the Monday night win at Soldier Field, a rare Vikings win in Chicago, Jefferson had eight catches for 135 yards. That's the type of performance that he needs to be, because I'm not going to blame him one bit. That's the type of performance that he needs to be, Declan Goff, set up to have. It is just in time. It is, I am... I mean, Dex, combined, I believe, last week, Thielen and Jefferson had seven catches. And I know Tampa Bay rolled the safeties or or kept them high and basically said, Dalvin Cook can run, 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 that's fine, but we're going to, to take away the passing game because that is actually how we give up huge chunks of yards, okay? Very smart call by Tampa Bay. Ultimately, thanks in part to a bad kicking game from the Vikings and Dan Bailey, it did work. You don't pay Kirk Cousins what you pay him. Hear me closely, people. I'm not blaming him. But you don't pay him what you're paying him, Declan. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a talent like Justin Jefferson, who, as far as I'm concerned, to steal a P.J. Fleck word, is an elite talent, to not use them. It is Justin Jefferson time. And somebody needs to get to the head coach and tell him, look, Dalvin Cook's a great player. We all love him. But everybody and their brother is selling out to stop him. Yeah. And even if they don't and say, you know what? We're not going to let Thielen and Jefferson and, by extension, Cousins beat us. You need to find a way to incorporate a big play threat into the game. And if that means that Cousins gets picked off, it means he gets picked off. But you can't just punt on a kid this good. Did you not learn a thing from the whole Diggs debacle? I mean, Stefan Diggs 
has been replaced with a great player, but he is having a great year. Why? Because he looked at what you were doing offensively and said, get me the hell out of here. Justin Jefferson on Sunday needs the football, and if the Bears have designed a way to try and take him out of the game, you need to combat that with adjustments to get him back in the game. Yeah, it's it's been criminal the way they've used Justin Jefferson from the first two games. Of the, it's criminal. It's so funny to say criminal because the guy is probably going to win Rookie of the I was Year say and, the is, stats and are, is breaking records. It's the eye test again, though. The stats are actually great, and at times the targets are fine, but it's the eye test. And it's, and it's the eye test on the supplemental things around him. It's not the eye test Amen. on the player. It's that Usually Amen. it's the opposite, right? It's nope. usually the eye test. You can see the, the work ethic's not there or, or they're just something... Is a little fraudulent. No, it's complete opposite with Justin Jefferson. The guy's an absolute stud. He wasn't used in the first two games. And when you really break down the amount of receptions and targets he's racked up with the yards, it's like, how the hell is this guy not getting the ball? And also, I, and I've been preaching this basically since Jefferson started popping off, Vikings fans, it's okay to root for Justin Jefferson's success and root for Stefan Diggs' success. Okay? Oh, yeah. you, you Like, stop... The hatred and and, and the uh, pissing and moaning of, of Stefan Diggs on Vikings fans is absolutely hysterical to me because then at this out of the same breath, we want guys like Mikhail Granlin back on the wild. We, we, want, we want then the other guys to come back here and then be successful. But then once the dude leaves and is successful and was right in the actions he did, i.e. Jimmy Butler, oh, no, 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 he's, he's a jerk and I don't want nothing to do with him. Uh, but he was right. But the thing that drives me crazy here, though, is, is can't you – can't fans and people who like the Vikings, this is going to repeat itself if it doesn't change. Yep. Like, Justin Jefferson's too good. You can't have him catch four passes and, and for, what, 39 yards? Yeah. You can't have him. He can't have a game. He, he can have a game where he catches four passes. But we've got to be pushing, if not over, 100 yards. Yeah. 39 yards for this kid? I mean, this is this is bagging him as his career progresses and his first contract um, nears its end eventually here. This is begging him to do the same thing that Diggs did. You can't right. treat a receiver in 2020. And, I mean, this is a passing league, too. Right. That's the other thing that drives me crazy. Like, the whole Dalvin thing is predicated on football circa 1994. So, anyway, get him the football, use him, and you. it's not like Cousins stinks. So, Find a way to design plays where Cousins might have to make a risky throw because the payoff is what you need to do. And and last thing, too, because Diggs' sit-down he did with ESPN that uh, has been airing here the last day or two. When he first got that second contract, Diggs said, yeah, I was happy. I got paid. I got my money. That was awesome. But then uh, quickly, quickly he realized, oh, wait, something's missing here. What if you what if you got paid? You got, you got the job you've always wanted. You got the money you've always wanted, but then the job wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And I can completely understand that. So I, I understand where Stefan Diggs is coming from. So he signed when? Did, Twenty, I think pre twenty seventeen. Okay. So when when did so he signed with Flip still the OC here or no? If, no. If he signed pre twenty seventeen, pre twenty seventeen season before the right, thirteen three but, but run. But that that was the offense actually ran differently. The offense didn't morph truly to what Mike wanted until Flip got blown out late in the twenty eighteen season decks. Yeah. And then Stefanski came in with Kubiak. So Diggs basically, I think, thought, oh man, I'm a featured player. Sure. And then eventually it changed and he's like, now I'm not. What happened? Right. And no, I don't agree with how he went about his business, but his thought process on how things were trending was exactly right. All right. And key number one, 
obvious, but we got to go there. Yep. Don't bail now. That's right. The Vikings did not bail on Dan Bailey, who missed two extra points and a field goal against Jacksonville at U.S. Bank Stadium two weeks ago, and then an extra point and three field goals against Tampa Bay uh, last Sunday in Tampa. The Vikings are going to stick with him. He is very fortunate that they are not going to have fans in the stands because if he's if he was playing at home on Sunday with fans and anything comes close to a miss, the place would probably turn toxic. But he is going to be kicking in front of his head coach, who we all know deep down in his soul and heart hates kickers. Yes. Um, as we discussed with Courtney Cronin on Purple Daily, going to be very interesting to see what the approach is for the Vikings as far as field goal attempts and extra points. Is Mike going to allow Bailey to kick extra points if the Vikings go down and score early? Or is he going to go for two because, you know, the wheel sort of started to come unglued, I thought, a little bit last Sunday when the Vikings did score early in the second quarter and then Bailey missed the extra point attempt. So it's going to be, I'm very curious as far as the team's mood goes and as far as how whitely, how tightly things are wound to see what the approach to Bailey is when this game actually does start after they held on to him. Yeah, look, it's I called for his head. Everyone's calling for his head. I'm the person who says... Look, dude, you got to make your bleeping kicks. I don't care about your track record. It's a week-to-week job. Ryan Longwell discussed that, too, on Purple Daily this week. But it probably is the right move to stick with them. I mean, if they're cutting the practice squad guy, that means that guy was bunk. You can't really bring in a new dude in because of COVID protocols. So, like, what would you would have done? So, I mean, Dan Bailey's still kicking for his job on Sunday. Like, that's that's very evident. Um, but it's, it's the right move to stick with them. I just hope to God he does the one thing, and that's make... The fo- kick the football through the uprights. That's all I can ask. Do you think he will? Phil does. I think he does. I think he does. But you have to. You also have to put him in positions to be successful. So, so Zim, don't trot him out there for his first kick for fifty six yards. Fifty four okay? yard field goes a mistake. Is no. that what you're trying to tell me, yeah. Declan? It, so when it's thirty, it's when it's fourth and seven, and and it's a thirty eight yard attempt. Let him go out there. Let him do it. I can't decide. Mike. Oh, so if Mike didn't get so um, bent out of shape and uptight. I would say that Bailey would be fine. But Declan, on Wednesday in Mike's press conference, he was so uptight and so just like clenched that I think it's going to reflect in the team's play unless he has changed, which I don't think during the course of a week he changes. So that's my one thing from like Bailey to Cousins, the entire team. I sense that because every time I've seen Mike go down the path of, oh my God, he's wound tight. I don't think I've ever seen the Vikings come out and play a good game. Yeah. So I'm really curious from Bailey on down what the mood of this team is. Because in some ways, they really should be loose. Because, like, the Tampa Bay loss was a terrible loss. But now it's like, you got to run the table. It's going to be tough. And you're not that good. So I really think that this team should be, they should be, they should have been made to be loose for this game. I think they're going to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you. When it comes to special teams and kicking, that's the probably the worst place to basically go in with the mindset, and you're right, that Bailey's going to have, which is every damn kick, it's going to be, if I miss this one, I'm done. If I miss this one, I'm done. So that's my one, my one question and my one problem, and the reason why I'm not saying he's going to have a great day is I think he's going to be so uptight again. And there's no question in my mind, the Tampa Bay game, he was too. I mean, you don't get that out. He's too good a kicker, and the guy's what, thirty-two. You don't get that uptight 
and bent out of shape Mm -hmm. unless, like, you are internally just tight as can be. Here's the thing, too. I know we we all laughed. Mostly, actually, you laughed when when Mike Zimmer called Dan Bailey his kid. You know, I love this kid. The kid is a great kid. Great kid. Here's the thing, though. I I do think that of all the kickers that have come through here with with Mike, Blair, Kai, Carlson, Bedvik, I do think he genuinely likes Bailey. Like, I don't think he liked Blair. I don't think he liked Kai. Vedvik, that's his own chapter in its own right. I think he genuinely likes Dan Bailey. Okay. And so it's the rarity where he actually likes the human being. He still hates the position. That's obvious. But he does genuinely like Dan Bailey. I don't think he liked Blair or Kai. He definitely didn't like Blair Walsh. No. And Carlson, they, they the thing with Carlson, and I will say this to my dying day, is I understand he's successful now. But Rick Spielman drafting a kicker for Mike Zimmer made no sense. I know. Like, the Bailey thing actually throws me because he's a veteran guy. And, and I get that he – look, I get struggles. Um, but to be as out of whack as he was against the Bucks throws me off. But the Carlson thing, I point – I put that on Spielman. How do you draft this guy a kicker? Like this guy doesn't like kickers, and now you're going to give him a young, impressionable one. That and and the thing about that is, it's not the Green Bay game. He was ruined by the time the preseason ended. He had lost all confidence. I mean, you're going for two in a preseason game because you don't trust him, and then you're admitting that. Think about that for a I second. Know, in a preseason, like that should be the time <laughs> to be like, calm down. Right. It's going to be fine. Gonna be We're going right. to get you back out there. And you know what? If, if you miss, you miss. He's going for two to try and get points in a preseason game. That guy went into Green Bay with as much of a chance to make field goals as I probably had. True. All right, we are uh, done here. Don't forget Ventline on Sunday, right after the Vikings-Bears game. In fact, where can people um, send their notes to right now or on Sunday on uh, email to get hold of you to set up their appearance? Well, you can uh, email vikingsventline at gmail.com, vikingsventline, all one word, at gmail.com. Get me in, uh, or you can tweet at me at, at tweets. And I can uh, try to send you out that email invite again. We're already getting people invited, so there's already been bookmarks Are we really? and people. Yeah, they'll. they'll they're, we appreciate they're ready to go. everybody. We, we sincerely do. But we're not. We're not technically done here because we are going into one of the most intense action movie rewinds I've ever done. Oh, captivating! Oh, yeah, yeah. That was all more sh- more Arnold charges. Get the charges. So get yes. to the carpet. I forgot. How could I forget? How could you forget? Action movie rewind. We'll talk to you later. Now, the next time you hear this whistle, each one of you get one toy. How many? One! Good. And bring it back to the carpet. Pronto. Ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. Down. Ready? <laughs> Go, quickie. Get your toy. Go. Go for it. Yes. Very fast. Good. Quickie. Bring the toy back. Bring the toy back to the carpet. Bring it back to the carpet. Quick, 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 quick. Back to the carpet. Quickie. One, Reading, writing, arithmetic. Too much homework makes me sick. When it's time to pass the test, kindergarten is the best. Welcome to the party, pal. Action movie reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee ki mother. What is this? Your police officers. If you know who you are, 
Rachel. This is some kind of joke, right? No, this is no joke. You took three million dollars. No, I think you've got Listen, Chris knows where you are. He could be here any minute. Where's, where's Dominic? We can offer you immunity for your testimony. You won't go to jail, but we need you to help Where's us. Dominic? He's in a pony. He's fine. The only way we can offer you protection is if you tell us where the money there is. There is no money, you son of a bitch! There never was! <laughs> I, there's so many. <laughs> Whoa! There's so many. Things. Oh man! All right, welcome in to Action Movie Rewind. Every Friday on Mackie and Judd, we do a deep dive, an unnecessarily deep dive into an action movie from any number of different uh, eras and genres. And we put four movies up for vote every single week. And I will be totally not. You guys, we had we had Predator, mm-hmm. we had Ter- Terminator, we had two Arnold movies. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, and sometimes when you see that there's a couple great movies already in the mix, you might just throw a little, like a throwaway movie in there, and yeah. I honestly just threw Kindergarten Cop in as kind of a, all right, we already, we'll throw a third Arnold movie in here and see what happens. It won the vote. It, bar- Kindergarten it barely Cop. beat Terminator, right? Yeah, like by literally point Terminator. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, two consecutive weeks of very, very close voting, by the way. Kindergarten Cop. 1990, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic. Here is the summary. Unusual circumstances find big brawny cop John Kimball, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, posing as a kindergarten teacher in order to apprehend major drug lord Cullen Crisp, as well as his ruthless accomplice and mother Eleanor. While pretending to be a kid-friendly instructor, Kimball falls for pretty fellow teacher Joyce as he battles both unruly children uh, and dangerous bad guys. 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Here's the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. Arnold Schwarzenegger substitutes his action brio with some refreshingly adept comedic timing. But Kindergarten Cop is too grim for children and too cloying for adults. That's and That's I will it? say, I remember watching, this was the first ever Arnold movie I watched as a kid, because it was the first oh. ever like kid, kid-friendly kid Arnold movie, I think. And so I remember watching this as like a six or seven-year-old or something, and it is terrifying. The, like yeah. when, That scene where Cullen, in the, where, where Arnold's dreaming, and Cullen's standing outside his window in the classroom in the rain, like when you're seven years old, that is traumatizing. Yes. This movie had a $26 million budget, turned into $202 million at the box office. And it starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, Penelope Ann Miller, and then a bunch of people that you've probably never heard of, including a bunch of kids that they've grown um, up now. Were in some other Can famous find them things on Google. Yeah, Miko Hughes was a kid in Full House, and he played the kid in uh, Pet Cemetery. The twin sisters, twin sisters, very yeah. famous. Yes, bunch of articles. So we'll start with Judd Zolga. What was your oh key God. takeaway <laughs> from Kindergarten Cop? So I was twenty. Who is your daddy? What does he do? Carpet. Get to the co- get your toy. Bring it to the carpet. So I was 20 years old when this uh, came out, and until now, at the tender age of 51, I had avoided this completely. And so I've like never to, seen this. Before. And I'd like to thank God for that. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why I had to watch it, but anyway, uh, boy, what, what's my takeaway? What's my takeaway? Okay, I'm going to just start off with. I'm going to start off with this, okay? And this will also be my least favorite part, but I think it has to tie in. The plot of this film, my takeaway is 
that two cops from California need to go to, is it Astoria, Oregon? Yep. Mm -hmm. Very nice, nice uh, waterfront town. Yep. They need to go there and pose undercover to find a kindergartner and hopefully his mother of a guy they're trying to convict. Why? <laughs> because what do you mean? Because the, the witness wouldn't talk. Like what do you mean? No, why? but like why you could the witness no, wouldn't but talk. They, but they they were trying they were trying to find out who his wife who supposedly had stole three mil were and his kid. Like you could do background checks from California and find who they are. Now if they'll cooperate is is a different question. But the whole premise is you have to go undercover to find people that ordinary ordinary police detective procedures can easily find. Like you could have found out who these people were without having to like do deductions for an hour and 50 minutes of a film to be like I thought it was this guy but it was that guy. Yeah, and, and not to mention they were married, it makes right? No sense. They were married, right? So wouldn't wouldn't there be marriage records? Yes, like, that's what, what I'm saying. So you'd be able to look and say, okay, Colin Crisp was married legally to unless they all like changed their names but, or something. But like if she was in Europe, right? Like if she had absconded with the child to to France, then I could see it's a problem because they're outside the country and they're harder to find. But they know exactly where they are, but they don't know who they are? Correct, yes. That's why he had to become... And by the mm-hmm. way, it wasn't his plan to be a kindergarten teacher. I know it was We'll get to that, too. I know it wasn't. But anyway, that that's my takeaway and my least favorite part. I don't need super plausible, but I at least need it to be somewhat plausible. <laughs> and to think that you couldn't have found out just from database searches or record searches who these people were is beyond the scope of... of Reason, in my opinion. Also worth noting, too. <sighs> so so, so he's been chasing Colin Crisp, this drug lord, for like seven or eight years or something, right? And Crisp great hair, shows up. Yeah, he does have great hair. Great right? hair. Great ponytail. He's got those great early 90s oh, yeah. colored suits. Yep. Those thick, humongous suit coats. Do you guys ever see out front of our building on university? <laughs> have you ever seen the guy who wears colored suits walking up and down university? No. You no. guys never seen this? No. So I, I was... Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota between 2003 and 2007, and my last couple of years, 06, 07, I would take uh, buses back and forth from St. Paul campus for a couple of classes. So I've, I've taken the university public transportation route going back to like 2006 and would go to that old Dumb Brothers and stuff. And there's a guy who works in a building somewhere nearby here that carries a briefcase and he wears like Dumb and Dumber suits. Amazing. He's got like five oh. or six different color ones. And he's been walking up and down. University Avenue with his briefcase during the day for at least 15 years. I saw him last week. And if you guys aren't like driving up on university at specific times, you know, I, I avoid university actually like the plague. <laughs> I do I really these do. days. Yes. But, but, anyway. but he looks like that guy is what I'm saying. But so anyway, um, that that's my takeaway. Is oh, the other thing is, why? The other thing I was going to say is, okay, wouldn't there be another way to figure out that Cullen Crisp pulled the trigger and murdered that guy in that warehouse besides, like, of the course. woman who saw it? Wouldn't there, there's got to be other evidence. Like, and Arnold's been he was chasing him around the whole mall, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. But I'm just saying the, the premise of this entire film is that you have to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher to find out something that, uh, that going through records could have told you. Yeah. Uh, my main takeaway from this movie... Mostly has to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger as a brilliant crossover star. (laughs) 
the be- the beginning of the movie is basically him as like Terminator or or like pick any number of movies that he's been in. He's got the looks. Yep. And then and then he turns into this like charismatic, fun John Kim, Mr. Kimball teacher. Uh, you know, he's very likable with the kids, very protective. And then he and then he turns back into the badass. He's getting he's getting shot up in the bathroom, uh, multiple bullet wounds. Uh, I I thought genuinely is as many holes as we can poke in the movie. I actually thought Arnold Schwarzenegger was great in this movie, not as like an Oscar award winning actor, but like. This was peak Arnold Schwarzenegger showing off his action star side and showing off his likability. Uh, like he has more of an ability to be charismatic and, and he's funny soft, than and he's like Sylvester Stallone does, for instance. This is right? very true. This is a good or point. Or Steven Seagal. Like this movie put him way over the top of all those other action stars. Yeah, Seagal would have done this. Multifaceted. Seagal had way mode. too much pride, my man. Seagal <laughs> was Seagal. Okay, he's going to kill you and he's going to beat you up. No kindergartners. What? Okay, what would this movie be like if you? And, and we'll get to some production notes. And there is one they they actually wanted a non-action movie star to be the star of this movie, which we'll get to, but. If you replaced Arnold Schwarzenegger with Sylvester Stallone, that'd be awful. It'd be worse. Schwarzenegger actually, to your point, can act a bit. Mm-hmm. Like he can. Like Seagal would have been. It, it would have been worth watching because it would have been so awful. Yeah. But like Seagal and Stallone don't have that gear. No, like the like throttle it down gear, right? Seagal's a sociopath, right? Oh yeah. There's he, no way he's he would connecting have with the kindergarten with, kids up. Yeah, he's not connecting with Dominic on the playground. Sorry. All right, Dex, your main takeaway from this movie. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie from start to finish. Um, I don't know if I can call it an action movie. Yeah, the like that, it's, that's it's my... a, the first 15 minutes are action. Yeah, and the last 15 minutes are action, and the rest is like a. Character. A love story. Character and a, and study, a, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can I call it an action movie. I don't know if I can yeah. call it a crime movie. I don't know if I can call it a comedy, a drama. I, my main take was I don't know what genre of movie this is. It's an Arnold, to me, it's an Arnold movie. And and it basically is cashing <laughs> yeah. in on his name. Yeah. And, and it was almost like he said, I can act. And they're like, really? And he's like, yeah. And because, yeah, I think that this was are, – are there actors now who get this project? Like, do, do we still feature – Oh, The Rock Dwayne Johnson would be brilliant in this exact role. Okay. This role was made for Arnold and The Rock. Okay. 100%. Because, I mean, Dex is not wrong. It basically began action, then became character-driven, what, and then went back to action. What, He's right. What's funny is I'll, I'll unveil one of the production things right now, that they actually did do a sequel of this movie. I don't know. I didn't oh. know that until I did some research last night. There was a sequel of this movie in 2016. I saw this on Wikipedia. Starring not The Rock. The Rock would have been great. Dolph Lundgren. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I think it did it go straight to... Straight uh, to DVD? Yeah. DVD or home Streaming buys, straight, whatever. Straight to DVD. Yeah, I'm not going to see that, by the way. No, I'm not even it, not even curious in the least. Yeah, it was also as... as I don't know if it was Rotten Tomatoes, whoever had the synopsis of it, but it's kind of dark. Like, they set the school on That's fire. That's what Phil... Dude. That's what Phil just said. Like, you watch this as an eight-year-old, it is terrifying. I would be terrified that the school is on fire. This is before, so so this is this is eight or nine years before Columbine, correct? Yeah, yeah. Columbine was like with ninety. And I really and I really yeah. believe though th- that as terrifying as this is, the the darkness of the thought process was this couldn't happen really, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't do this movie now as a comedy. No. You could do the movie, but it would have to be like a terrifying look at school shootings. 
You couldn't do it like, oh, there's going to be some shootings yeah. inside the school, and it's hilarious. Yeah. Look, it's The Rock. I thought the same exact thing. I thought the same exact thing. Because, yeah, there there would be now, it wouldn't be funny. Yeah. No. Like, then it's like, guy with a gun in the school. But now, nobody carries a gun in a school or starts a school on fire. It's great that Mr. Kimball is just, he's got a piece in his sock, too. He's just like, he's teaching these kids, he's got a piece in the sock. Have we reviewed a film, 33 now, film? I think it's 37 now. Okay. In the 37 films that we've done, We've done some awful films. We've done some films that absolutely stink. Have we done one that is as absolutely positively start to finish predictable as this one? Everything. Like they kept doing fire drills and you eventually said, when's the real fire? (laughs) Like the predictability of this. There was zero attempt to be like, let's throw the adults a bone here of some type of twist. Yeah, I, I, I think I mean, there's a lot of predictability among some of these movies. But, yeah, I would agree with you on that one. You could you could pretty much see it coming around the corner at every turn here. It's like, let's try another fire drill. Yeah. I wonder why those kids are doing so many fire drills. Could it be someone's yeah. going to set a real fire? So you're, you're saying that you, you're, one of your main takeaways is you don't have to be a, a, a Mensa member to figure out what's going to happen <laughs> next in the kindergarten cop plot. <laughs> it was, but I mean, like there was no like nod to there's adults yeah. who are going to watch this. So we're going to give them some type of twist yeah. to it. Okay. What was your favorite part, Judd of kindergarten cop? Oh, hold on. I got to put my glasses on to read what I wrote. <sighs> oh, this part. <laughs> it's not plausible again, but it actually was so was, was just so ridiculous. It was fu- funny to me. Okay. So this guy goes with his with his female cop partner, yeah. and she's going Phoebe, right? Yeah, Phoebe. and she's going to teach. She's going to sub in as the kindergarten teacher, and he's going to be her husband as they track these people. She gets sick, and so he, he's just like, "Screw it, I'll be the substitute kindergarten teacher for an indefinite period of time." Okay, is there no kindergarten curriculum at all? Like, this guy didn't have, like, he just made everything up. Arnold made Mr. Kimball. I'll go get, made, my, get my ferret. This is my pet ferret. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, kids alone. Is there, yes, <laughs> but is there no curriculum? Like, is there no, are there no rules? Like, okay, here, here is your syllabus for today. Here it is for what we do on Tuesday. Like Phil just said. Shut up! <laughs> There's no... And throughout the course... And by the way, there is no return date for for permanent kindergarten teacher until the end when I think she's back, but then he comes back. But the fact is, there's never a day where there's any, like, structure. Yeah, like, he's... And, he's just making it up. And then he goes in for his review. And she, by the way, the principal knows that he's an undercover, uh, undercover cop, so she's not, like... Holding his feet to some, yeah. she's basically all right. I'm being my arms being twisted into the for whatever reason. Like we have allowed this to happen, <laughs> and uh, and then and then he like gets chastised for for punching that uh, abusive dad outside in front of all the kids. But yeah. she comes in, and she's like, I just want to ask you one question. How did it feel to punch that son of a you know whatever? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then she explained how he's a great teacher. But I I love I'm gonna so my favorite part of this movie I'm gonna piggyback off what you're saying <laughs> is just great. like the entire setup. Of the undercover teacher thing and how it came to fruition. So, so like, the principal wasn't even told why an undercover cop is taking over. She was just told, like, there's going to be an undercover cop taking over for Mrs. Hadley. So, 
They just fired Mrs. Hadley? <laughs> no, she's like, I didn't, I don't know. She Where's didn't Mrs. say Hadley? that. She said that, that she was a good teacher, so I have no idea what they did with her. But did, they, did they stick her in a closet? Did they furlough Mrs. Hadley? What do they tell Mrs. Hadley? Listen, uh, we're going to need you to go away for a while. And at the very <laughs> end, is she back? I think she's the adult in the room at the end when, when okay. he comes back in. Okay. So I think she was just sort of sent on. But, I mean, there's no, like, end date to Schwarzenegger's tenure. Here's the other thing, okay? So Schwarzenegger, so so Mr. Kimball has a terrible first day or two, right? Like, he's just, he's overwhelmed. He gets done with that first day. He plops on the bed, and he's just like, I want to blow my brains out, right? Okay, well... Phoebe, his partner, presumably is getting better now after I mean, food poisoning. I've had food poisoning a couple times. I mean, it's like 24 hours. And she and- said it, it, it was the flu, right? Because I think she said that she'd gone to the doctor. And it's, okay. the flu, it's the flu. But, I mean, that takes, what, a week? By the way, if she had the flu and they were in a car together for several hours, yeah, would he plane. then get the flu, too? Yeah. yeah actually, or on an actually, together? actually, yes. So I guess my question is why when – so he goes in and he fills in right away. Yeah. And the principal knows that – there's an undercover cop. So they don't have to trick the principal. They're just, like, trying to trick the kids, basically, right? And the other teachers. Why wouldn't Phoebe just take over after, like, two days? Because she's a former teacher, right? Why wouldn't Phoebe... All right, I'm... Man, the flu knocked me on my ass for a couple of days, but, hey, I'm back. I'm just going to go in and do this teacher thing. Instead, they just let John Kimball with his ferret continue on with Correct. his kids? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. With no plan. By the way, this school... Security in schools has always been a question, you know, with yes. all these shootings and stuff. Okay? Absolutely. So at the near the end of the movie, when Cullen shows up to, to town, he just walks in with a greasy suit into this kindergarten class, is hanging out with the principal, and she's like letting him peek into the room with a bunch of five-year-old kids. Isn't that you weird? Know, hey, random guy with a ponytail and a suit shows up. You know, when Can 19- I take a peek in that kindergarten room? It is weird, but in 1990, in a small town school like that, I could at least sort yeah. of see that I one. Think it's par for the course in the time. Like, I wouldn't be That's shocked fair. by that. No. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just curious. Was there any plan? Like when when these kids came home from school each day, and mom or dad said, "What did you learn?" And you'd be like, "Well, I just saw a ferret." Be like, "Oh, okay, but did you learn something, or did did you no?" I didn't do a thing. Uh, we learned how we learned how to be uh, like police officer, uh, police officer yeah. partners. I'm not saying our kindergarten... teacher just blows a whistle and yells at us for an hour and a half. And I'm not trying to imply that that kindergarten class is full of a lot of like um, you know arithmetic and and trying to learn stuff. But like this guy had no plan besides I'm going to show up each day <laughs> and try and basically get the kids uh, to like me more. Yeah. Dex, what was your favorite part of this movie? Uh, Arnold being Arnold. I love in the, I actually counted in the first 20 minutes. He says, I'm John Kimball. I'm John Kimball. I'm John Kimball. He, he said it three times. I had to keep track of it because I thought it was going to be a thing throughout the entire movie that he kept saying, I'm John Kimball. And it, it, that was my favorite part of him being like classic Arnold. Just like, we need a few more there, uh, Arnold. I'm John, John Kimball. Kimball. I think even... Hey, I'm a police officer. This is an arrest. This man is crazy. Look at him. He wants to kill me. You're just going to stand there? Freeze! Oh, jeez. I'm a cop, you idiot. (laughs) I'm Detective John Kimball. This man is under arrest. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm checking it out. You can't just walk in here and put a gun in my face. I'm trying to get a manicure. I have witnesses. I have a witness, too. It's murder one this time. (laughs) Now you're mine. 
So yeah, I would. Th- my my favorite part is just <laughs> him being John Kimball easily. Oh, I mean that that opening right. scene, the clip you just played of like the opening oh. confrontation, a lot of incompetent police confusion there. So first totally. of all, you got you got Cullen, this this terrible human being, murderous drug overlord. Plus and he he's getting plus he he can't act. No, well they limited his his lines to like the first ten minutes and last ten minutes, uh, and he's getting a manicure inside this mall. But then like these police who come in, and they and they say. Everyone just hold like guns are all drawn. Like Arnold's got a gun drawn. The police have a gun drawn on Arnold, and so it's a like as high of a tension moment as possible. And the one police officer is like, "Just give me five minutes to get on the phone here. I just need to, I need to verify, verify a couple things cop. here." He's like on the phone. It's like, dude, these guys have guns pointed at each other. Anyways, all right, Joe, we went over your least favorite part of this movie. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you my least favorite part. Phoebe, the other undercover cop that we're talking about here is low-key terrible at her job if you go through this movie, okay? Just go through, like, you You, you may think, oh, she, yeah, she was the one that was, like, in there at the end. Let's go through a checklist here. First of all, she irresponsibly gets sick on the first night. Like, she's, like, yeah, you know, takes some precautions. This is one of the biggest days of your she career. eats like okay? a pig. Eats like a pig. Uh, so she, she right out of the gate, she can't even answer the bell for this big career assignment, and Arnold has to bail her out, okay? That's thing number one. Yeah. Maybe a little bit forgivable in that, she got sick and it happens, right? But then, while Arnold's doing all the work, she's literally sitting at home, eating Italian food, drinking wine, and hooking up with her fiancé in this bumbling fiancé. What are you you doing? Yes. This is a work trip, man. Yes. Uh, Then, if you remember, (laughs) at one point, when they were at the uh, the fair outdoors, she openly questions John Kimball's police instincts when she says that, uh, when when Arnold says no, Joyce is the one. Like Joyce is the woman. This is it. We we have found the connection to Cullen Crisp, and she's like, no, you just want it to be that way because you're in love with her. So her like her instincts are wrong there. <laughs> and then at the end, she's trying to help Arnold, and and the the building's on fire, broad daylight, and an old woman hits her with her car and takes her out of commission for minutes. Like what do you what value are you adding to this equation? I can see why Arnold wanted to work alone. So. My least favorite part was just... And I he did have the line, though. Annoying. I work alone. He I had the line alone. that every one of these films has, yeah. which is, I work alone. I work alone. I don't work with a partner. I think the line was, who is your daddy? What does he do? Dex, what was your least favorite part of this movie? I, it, I mean, the whole movie for, for, the, for the majority of it. Uh, also, <laughs> the fact when, towards the end, when the, fi- when the fire is happening and the bad guy is literally... How do you get out of the school? He's going up the stairs. Do you think the exit is on the third floor of the school? How do I get out? Are you so flustered? You don't know how the entrance and exits work? Also, it's a school for kindergartners. How complicated can it really be? Correct. Well, they, they had some grades beyond that. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it okay, might be very fi- complicated. Third yeah, grade. Fifth grader, you, you don't yeah. know how tough third grade can be. I mean, there's a lot of complications <laughs> Have in you third guys grade. ever been inside an elementary school and thought, oh, my God, this place is a maze? I got to no. get to the roof. I got to get to the, where's the roof? Where's the roof <laughs> um, of this grade school? What is the least believable thing in this movie? Um, I think it's it's your point about the partner. So, feet. Phoebe is written in and out, like, as it's convenient. Not in real life, but for the film. Yeah. So, so, so the best, so the guy gets out of jail, and they know, because Arnold says this, he's coming to Astoria, he might be here now. And so they know this, okay? So instead of, like, 
getting the 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 wife and the kids safe, right? Which would mean that you take them out of the school, that you probably leave town. They just continue to operate business as usual. <laughs> but Schwartz and Hager's character, John Kimball, goes to protect John her. Kimball. And then the best part is, as he goes out to the house to find them to protect them, Phoebe's just gone. Like, she's not in those scenes. Yeah. It's like, is she doing something else important in Astoria, Oregon? So, <laughs> yeah, so she's, yeah, she's making out with her fiancé yeah, outside. So the least believable thing is, like, there's no police work at all. And then, and then at the end, when, by the way, with her extremely dangerous ex on the loose, and they think he's in town, she goes back, as far as I can tell, on Monday to teaching. Yeah. She doesn't leave. I mean, she's so concerned about her son that he's still going to kindergarten. Yeah. So you're saying after all this stuff happens, Yes, yes. I'm saying they know know that the bad guy is probably in town. Yes, yes, yes. They know that he's going to be hunting them. And instead of saying, we have to get you out of town to a hotel into protection, they just continue to operate. And for a large part of this, Phoebe, the fellow cop, disappears, and we don't know... If she's helping, where she is, she's just gone. Yeah. I, I would say the least believable part for me, and there are a lot of uh, not believable parts in this movie, is so the relationship between Joyce, a kindergarten teacher, and this drug dealer, Cullen, like this big city drug dealer, and this small town kindergarten teacher, or I think she teaches first grade or something. Yeah, she teaches a second different grade, grade yeah. yeah. But an elementary <laughs> school teacher. John okay. Kimball teaches kindergarten. <laughs> And and when John Kimball is is asking about like well how, you know what, what's the history of the relationship between you guys and she said I didn't know who he was when I married him so like you didn't know what did he tell you that he did like you didn't know that he was shady that he was like where did he get all these millions of dollars from oh honey it's business um, so I thought that was weird but I, I would add in a tie for least believable the end of the movie okay John Kimball comes back so John Kimball's in the hospital. He's he's already professed his love for Joyce, right? I don't want to lose you. So they're already in love with each other, and they've kissed and everything. And John Kimball gets shot up in a bathroom. <laughs> he 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 murders the or he murder he 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 uh, he kills whatever the two bad guys, and he comes back with a cast on his leg, and Joyce sees through her classroom window that John's in there and is in. As if they haven't like <laughs> he been never, in communication he since the hospital. In the hospital. <laughs> so, yes. so he was in the hospitals for some de- undetermined period of time. <laughs> They're in love, and she's like, "Oh my, oh John's back! This is great! Like you didn't talk leave to my him classroom again." Yeah. <laughs> and he's and he's not and he's unconscious. So like he's in really bad shape. And she she is is there with, with her son. As the ambulance pulls away, and then they don't see each other ever again right. until he just mysteriously, or miraculously, I should say, comes back. And and now my favorite part, too, is, so I believe that, because there, there's an adult in the kindergarten class at the end, and I believe that's the teacher. That's Mrs. Hadley. Mrs. Hadley's there. But then he's decided to retire from being a cop to become a kindergarten teacher himself. So does he have to like beat up Mrs. Hadley for the job yeah, now? I don't know. Mrs. Mrs. Hadley just got screwed entirely oh, totally. out of her oh, yeah. job. And they said she was good. But so he like at the end decides that he's going to stay with this job full time. So is she Dude. just gone? It's amazing. Like so, is she just fired? So what happens if 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 Ivan uh, Reitman, you got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> we'll get to Ivan too. But so if Arnold doesn't come back to the classroom. 
does Joyce not talk to him? No. Like, that's the implication. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Super weird. Uh, all right, least believable thing, Declan. <laughs> Le- <sighs> I mean, the, the whole premise of a guy just walks in and I'm gonna, I was the husband of the substitute teacher and now I, the principal just accepts the fact like, yeah, I know you're under a cover cop. There are no other options. So you can just be the teacher. That makes no sense to me. Makes zero sense. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'll just be the teacher. I'll just uh, I've got I've got a couple guns. And, and then the whole I idea felt- she was supposed to be the substitute teacher, so now she's just yeah she's just doing recon and yeah. like sleeping with her now fiance who was not yeah. in the movie at all up until this moment that he's naked in her he's bed. A great, like, he's a what? great chef. He's a great chef. He's a fantastic <laughs> chef. Okay. okay. Oh, go ahead. And a, a first class klutz too. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, like they God. they just throw in the fact. That he's a klutz, like we're all supposed to be like, isn't that funny? It's a klutz. A few other things. Trips over his own feet. Felt like there was some sexual tension between Colin and his mom, did it not? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. No, that was there. Kissing her on the cheek. I think Hello, that was, mother. I think that was actually very much on purpose, and, and, and it at least executed the weirdness that they were trying to convey. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, I agree weird. with you. And she was, yeah, was domineering and... Um, until she got hit with a baseball bat, at which point she was no longer dominant. Yeah. When they argued inside the gas station about all the medicine, the medicine that she was yes. buying for the for the kid, Dominic, and you never got sick. That's because you were on all these pills or whatever. Yeah. It's like wow, that's yeah, super creepy. weird. Um, kids being loud on airplanes is another thing I remember from this, where Arnold is just getting like his seat kicked. Oh, I hate God. that. Do you guys have any any kindergarten memories? Do you guys remember kindergarten? Like, do you remember oh, your yeah. teachers yeah. or yeah? <clears throat> Mrs. Warner, I believe her name was. Mrs. Graybell. Mrs. Block. Yeah. 1975, baby. Yeah. Quite a year to like be in kindergarten. 1990 for me, the exact year that this movie came oh, out. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. It was very relatable for, for young filmmakers. 97, 98 for, for Declan here. Yeah. Wow. Nap time was great. I do remember getting the milks and the juices and the snacks, and then like we had these little plastic cots and blankets, and we'd all just line up and... Go to how sleep long, for an hour. How, how long was your day? Because we would go. I think yep. I I think my kindergarten at Saint Therese was not like nine to noon or nine to one. So half day basically, probably nine to noon. I don't remember specifically the timing, but I I was it I was, was not a full day. It was kindergarten for half the day, and then it was like it was like kinder college daycare for the other half of the yeah, day. Yeah, we did day. not get a nap. Yeah, we I did no Mont- naps. I did Montessori for elementary school, oh, and yeah. uh, we did afternoon. So like I didn't go into I didn't go to kindergarten until like noon, which actually worked out great because I like to sleep in. My dad liked to sleep in, so it worked out <laughs> get, very well for the family drunk schedule. The night before, well, seriously, his high life yeah. it, would, it worked out great. Great kindergarten was great though. It was great. And back in my day, we did really very. I don't think that we, I think we read. I don't think we did math. I, I think they try and teach kids now more. It was more reading, from what I remember. I think we read and, and then, got like, read too. Just like motor skills, like putting puzzles together, blocks. That kind of stuff. I don't know why I can remember this, but I can't yeah. remember to post something on that a podcast sense. feed two days ago, but I can remember this moment, you know, like just, I don't know. Those brain cells yet. aren't dead yet. I, I remember the names of like all of my teachers up until, I remember, yeah, like up I until junior high. Mrs. Block, Mrs. Fish, Mrs. Sacco, Mrs. Bundy, Mr. Vossen, Mr. Carlson. Yeah, like, I mean, we, it, but what were their first names? What? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Jan Sacco, Peg. Bundy, or is that from the show? No, that's from the show. That's <laughs> married with children, Peg Bundy. <laughs> uh, Mark Vossen. I don't remember some of so, that. Yeah, in Montessori, you had the same, so I had the same teacher first, second, third grade, and then the same teacher fourth, fifth, sixth. 
So actually, and, oh, really? and, and we called them by first names. Really? So I didn't ever call a teacher by their last name till I was in seventh grade. Really? Really. So we called my first was Claire. My first through third grade teacher was Claire. Claire That's Robinson. why you connect with a teacher on Hulu. That's right. Yeah. That's so right. you were so you and had a crush on Claire. Claire. So, so you had a crush know, on Claire. So you had a crush on Claire. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <sighs> How many kindergartners would it take to kill you in a fight? One. I think one. I think all it takes is one with the shank that can, no, no, that can get you. No weapons. Oh, no weapons. We argue we we debated this. Alex before. Alex Boone That's uh, what said it was. it was like it would be like twenty. I would love to see Boone to kill you. So it's it's you and it's it's weaponless kindergartners. How many would it take to overwhelm you, overcome you, and kill you? Ten, I think ten. Ten's fair. Ten to ten to twelve. I think it's more. I think it's more like thirty or forty. Well, wait, because you're going to do some to damage kill too. you to kill you or just to get you down and... to kill you. I oh. mean, they they would have to be sort of trained a little bit. Uh, to they, go for the kill. I feel like they they would almost certainly have to have a weapon of some sort. Well, but if there's like forty of them, a hundred, a thousand, like if there's a thousand, they would just smother you. Yeah, a thousand, yeah. So there's a number in there somewhere. Twenty five to kill you. Twenty five to thirty. Because yeah, I I think their only recourse would be to hold you down and smother you, possibly choke you, but like they wouldn't have the weight to do much else. Yeah. Right. I think it's like thirty. I think it's like thirty. Uh, Ivan Reitman. Very, very, very dark question, Phil. Yes. I, I'd like people's thoughts, though. If you could tweet us how many kindergartners, reckless you think it would speculation, take to kill you. and how many kindergartners would yeah. take to kill you. Ivan Reitman is a legendary director for movies just like this. <laughs> I didn't know. There's a couple movies on here that I didn't know he directed, but I, I knew he was Ghostbusters guy, Meatballs, yep. Stripes, like all, a lot of Bill Murray stuff. Yep. He also directed No Strings Attached, which is a great chick flick from like nine years ago. Oh no Strings God. Attached, I think, is Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, that's a good one. Natalie yep. Portman's great. I love Natalie Portman. Ivan Reitman also directed Draft Day. Oh. Yeah, I saw Kevin it. Kevin Costner. I saw the end of Draft Day on Fox Sports 1 last week. I will, I I've never seen it. that whole thing. It is. Oh, it's a classic. Oh, the end is just awful. He's swinging all these trades. Jennifer Garner gets pregnant at the end. It's just <laughs> terrible. I love Jennifer Garner, too. He's good, but I mean, it, the the film at the end is just brutal. It's actually not that far from what you think the Browns front office probably is like in real life. They're yeah. just like making random Maybe, trades, yeah. and you know, a little bit better now. Production notes: Bill Murray was approached to play the role of John Kimball initially. This is an interesting okay. path to go down because yes. I actually think if they had done this, it's more like meatballs, probably, right? Yeah, I don't know what this is like. If but it actually might have, but it actually might not have been awful. Like he would have been it, funny it would enough be a to totally different movie. Right? It would be completely, but I, I'm just saying that I could see the potential with him and his quirkiness yeah. to to make that work to where he might fill in some of the gaps that probably just naturally existed with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, you could see him like arguing in his Bill Murray way with a five year old yeah. in the movie. I think it would have been more entertaining. That's what I'm saying. It yeah, wouldn't have been totally. as dark, right? You wouldn't have had some of these dark moments. Um, like Arnold can get a little darker than Bill Murray. I feel like it, it could have it could have worked too if it was still dark. I think it could have worked. I think with Bill Murray being weird, like it, it wouldn't be maybe as dark as it was presented with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the bad guy, but it would be like kind of twisted, be yeah. a little twisted. I feel like if Bill had done it, that, that there might have been um, a window opened a little bit too for him to use his his Bill Murrayness to, yes. to make it a little bit more of an adults would get it film. One hundred percent. That's fair. Like yeah, you, Arnold wasn't exactly like sophisticated on that level of no, like winking to exactly. the adults in the audience, exactly. right? Exactly. 
Uh, there was a we already went through the sequel part in 2016. Director Ivan Reitman and casting director Michael Chinich auditioned more than 2,000 children for the roles of the students wow. for this movie. It's pretty amazing. Also, Ivan Reitman's kids were in this movie. His son is is the one Making in the out. teacher's lounge yeah. during the fire. And then his daughter, who's, who's been starring in a bunch of different things throughout the last 15 years or so, including Working Moms on Netflix, which is good. Uh, she was one of the third or I think she was one of the third graders in maybe uh, Joyce's class. Schwarzenegger's contract, get this. Schwarzenegger's contract stipulated that a private studio for daily workouts and weightlifting be provided for the actor and his personal staff. A suitable studio was located, but when an agreement could not be reached, the actor threatened to pull out of the production entirely. An Astoria business owner, because they did film this in Astoria, an Astoria business owner stepped in and donated unused commercial space deemed suitable for Schwarzenegger, and the shoot continued. And there's a couple scenes where he's sitting there in the kindergarten class with, like, the the tight golf shirt, and the guns are just... It's probably in his contract that says, listen, we need a couple tight golf shirt scenes here so I can let the guns breathe. Let them, let them breathe for the camera. thin, too, right? Like, I, I, I think that, that might be the, the least weight that he did a film at as far as... Like, his guns are big, but his waist looks really small yeah, he's to de- me compared he's, to, like, Terminator. Well, his bodybuilding days were in the 70s, and so some of the stuff he did in the early 80s, he's probably still, like, in that mode a little bit. Yep. He's full-on Hollywood mode at this point, so right. he's probably not quite as big as he normally would be. All right, uh, anything else before we get to definitive bad guy rankings and the uh, the overall 1 through 10 ranking? Can we dive into Cullen here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Let's do it. All right, definitive bad guy rankings. It's not going to be good for him. No. It's okay. Hans Gruber, Die Hard, is number one. Michael Myers, Halloween, is number two. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. Cobra Kai from Karate Kid are the top five bad guys we have reviewed. At the bottom, the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3. So, um, yeah, I mean, the categories here sort of loosely are... Are they iconic? How ruthless are they? Are they charismatic? Great hair. Are they cultural icons? You know, he did have great hair. He gets votes for hair. That's about it for me. Pretty ruthless, but he's not iconic really in any way. And he really can't act. No. Yeah. Like the guy's just not that good. Yep. So he's probably like, I'll just work up from the bottom here. So incompetent Russian military, the muggers from Death Wish. These are all like sort of nondescript groupings of people, right? Yep. The French drug lord from Bad Boys. Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours, uh, Perrette from Tango and Cash, Sloan from Wanted. That's Morgan Freeman. He's got to be below Morgan. We can't put him above Morgan no, Freeman. No, no, he's Freeman, below. Right? And he's not. He's below. Yeah. That, I, was, that, was, that was some of Morgan Freeman's most nondescript was, work. But. I, think, I think he was the worst single character <laughs> that we have seen. So then below Perrette from Tango and Cash, too, right? Yes. So we'll put him as the... <laughs> We'll put him as the worst individual bad guy, but he's above some of the like nondescript Russian groupings. And military, stuff. correct? Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Correct. That's fair. I'm fine with that one. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to add there. Um, they, they were looking for someone that wouldn't overshadow Arnold in this movie. Absolutely. Right? All right, the rating system: one through ten Seagulls here. The top ten movies we have reviewed to this point are Die Hard and Halloween are tens. Taken, John Wick, Commando, Beverly Hills Cop, The Fast and the Furious. The Expendables, Top Gun, and Roadhouse. The bottom movies we have reviewed, the the bottom seven here, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Tango and Cash, Rambo 3, Wanted, Mad Max 2, Bloodsport, and Shoot'em Up. 
the uh, the median score in Action Movie Rewind is about a seven and a half. So seven and a half is about average slash median. Bad news for you. <laughs> Let's start with Judd. <laughs> this film ain't going to have to worry about the median score, <laughs> that's for sure. I'm gonna, going to uh, give it a grade of three. It gets a three. It mm. was... Um, it was interesting. That's about all I can say. I mean, it it was probably as much as Arnold can spread his wings. Uh, but it, beyond, it is. It but is. beyond that, it's not much. I'm going to say a three. Dex? It's a two. It is a two out of ten. I the, the, make it the, a zero. The, the, the plot is extremely messy. Arnold being Arnold is what makes this not a zero, to be completely honest. Yeah. That's the point. yeah this, I agree with if that. that is even a grade we can get. Can we give zeros? I did. Yeah, we can give a zero. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I give it a two. Give I'm giving it. I'm giving it a three and a half because of Arnold. I I uh. love Arnold in this movie, and everything else around it is just kind of a disaster. <laughs> so it's it's just. I mean, I'm trying to think of the sports. It's the Los Angeles Angels. You take Mike Trout off that team, and they yeah. lose a hundred games. So he is Kevin Garnett in some of those late '90s, early 2000s up, Wolves shooting yeah. that two. From yeah. The, yeah. Yep, so I'm giving it a 3.5, which makes it a 2.8, tied for the worst movie we have ever reviewed. Really? It's tied with Shoot 'em Up, which was also a 2.8. Okay. So there it is, wow. Kindergarten Cop. It was that bad, so I don't feel... It was awful. But Arnold, there's something, maybe I'm. Maybe you guys disagree with me on this. That whole movie had holes, and it's it's just like, it's it's a clunker everything but you put Arnold into it, and it's like it's like an NBA team. Where yeah, that team won twenty games last year. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then you put LeBron James on. It's like now they're a, now they're kind of a playoff team. I'd say two hundred million dollars at the box. Office. I'd say it's more the Wolves with Cat. Okay, well, Cat's not Arnold though. Yeah, Arnold is LeBron in that area. Is it Seahawks with Russell? If they take away Russell Wilson, let's just say bad. that you you guys might be slightly higher on Arnold than I am. Like I what? like I like him for the okay. Per- no, through the for the purposes of action movie rewind, Arnold is a legend. Yes. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I, I guess. What do you mean you guess? Well, I mean, come on, I'm a Seagal guy, okay? Oh God, you can't possibly. I'm a Seagal. Guy. He would have killed those kids <laughs> the first day. He would have pulled out his gun and killed them, and then beaten like a bunch for of them God up. Said. It would have been fantastic. Those kids have gone on to great things, though. All right, so we now officially have we have a, a new low: Kindergarten Cop <laughs> and Shoot 'Em Up are the worst movies we have reviewed. But uh, thanks to Arnold for at least salvaging this to some extent. I'm okay. back. For our next action movie, Predator, I'm going to keep on here from uh, from Cuddy 2 because Predator fared pretty well. I'm going to I'm going to keep Predator on What's this list. What's our plan here? Submissions. Yeah, I was, was going to wonder if with we Christmas even, next week. I was kind of wondering if we were actually going to do one or not. Well, or I, or I have a vote. I should say. I think we should. Well, we were going to do um, Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way. So let's do this. Let's do Jingle All the Way. Maybe we can do that like Monday or something yeah. before we all peace out. So we could do like Jingle All the Way. That's yeah, asking me to watch a film real soon again. You're not going to have time uh, this weekend? Know. Well, the Vikes play. Judd has a thing on Sunday. I got, I got, yeah, I got Sunday I like plans. I got Saturday. six packs of soda yeah, on Saturday. I, I usually and... make, you know, I make time on like Tuesday or Wednesday for these films. I, I don't know if I'm going to get to it. I'm just telling you right now. Well, we we definitely have to pick another action movie, and we also want to do Jingle All the Way. Okay. So we can figure out off mic how to do this in terms of our schedule. <laughs> right, let's, okay. let's fight about it right now. All right. <laughs> it's more fun. So for the next actual action hmm. movie, yep. Predator is going to stay on the list. Okay. Judd, what else are you putting Keep on? Keep mine on, on the list, too. Which was yours? Um, Terminator? Yes, Terminator. Going to run it back with Terminator Termin- and Predator. Terminator. Don't, don't make Sarah me pick Connor. another throwaway that's going to win here. Sarah Connor. 
That's great that you that you won. I, I think that's hilarious. All right, Declan. Uh, I want to do drive. All right, from uh, with, uh, with Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. This drive is a sneaky great candidate for this. It's quick too. It's I've hour thirty five. It. It's one of my favorite actions. Is it really? Yes, yeah. hour thirty five. It's quick. I've Brian seen Cranston. it. It's um, it is nice and violent. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot man. of good death there, Dex. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I've got one massive blockbuster on my list that I want to bust out, and I also have one that's more in the throwaway category, just to see what happens. What do you got? We're gonna go blockbuster. Okay. Arma- yeah. Armageddon. Oh boy. We're gonna put Armageddon. Armageddon is slightly over two hours, but trust me, it w- it'll be worth it if we review this movie. Have you guys seen Armageddon? I don't think I've ever seen it. A long time. Oh man. I don't think I've seen it. The world is ending, and it's up to a star-studded cast to make sure that the world doesn't end. Liv Tyler, right? Yeah. yeah. Ben Affleck. Oh, I love so Liv Predator, Terminator. Ben Affleck or no? Huh? Yeah, Ben Affleck. Okay. Yep. Yep. Predator, Terminator, Drive, and Armageddon are the movies. For review, and we'll drive we'll would be an stuff. interesting one. I do uh, a lot of blood, a lot of blood and gore in that one. Yeah, yep. And it's just, I mean, literally, it's just Ryan Gosling in like a, a scorpion jacket. You know what, though, just going around, dude can act. I love, I love dude can act. Good looking, awesome. great looking man, yeah. but he, he can act. But he, he, he didn't even know. really need to dust off the acting skills much in this movie. Just like, just be like super stoic for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. Ryan. Just, just give us that steely gaze. He's got right. that, yeah, that that look and the lip curl thing. Good lip curl. All right, so that's a that's a wrap on Action Movie Rewind, Kindergarten Cop, <laughs> an ode to John Kimball. Now, the next time you hear this whistle, each one of you get one toy. How many? One! Good, and bring it back to the carpet. Pronto. Ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. Down. Ready? <laughs> Go, quickly. Get your toy. Go. Go for it. Yes, very fast. Good, quickly. Bring the toy back. Bring the toy back to the carpet. Bring it back to the carpet. Quick, 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 quick. Back to the carpet. Quickie. All right, it's time to wrap with Roycey as we do on Mackie and Judd, what, the three times a week or so. Patrick Roycey, what's going on? How are you? I was just reading the Stefan Diggs, Diggs update. I did not realize he has 100 catches. That's a pretty good year, isn't it? He's gotten what he wanted, Pat. Gotten what he wanted, which was the football all the time, uh, or as much as possible. I think Josh Allen got what he wanted, too, because uh, he was the uh, about the most inaccurate passer I'd ever seen for a couple, three years, and now all of a sudden he's a, he's not going to win it, but he'll finish in the top five in the MVP voting. Um, yeah, he might. He he's might. A, he's had a fantastic had a, year. They love him in Buffalo too, because he's a hard nosed guy who run for that extra yard. Damn him! Yeah, and so uh, it's it's pretty amazing to be putting up those numbers. They must be having a mild winter like us up there, because uh, you can have about two games, uh, two three games of fall up there where nobody could catch a ball, right? Because yeah. raining and snowing and sleeting and yes, yes. And here, so he, here's my question. How long, and it's not going to be this year or next, but how long before Justin Jefferson does the same thing Diggs did? Because I will say this, <laughs> if you keep playing with the coach who is intent on giving the ball to the back constantly in 2020 or so, at some point in time, a guy like Jefferson is going to say, what the hell is this? I want the football more often. 
Yes, and when you start seeing the next contract, I would say. So after year three, usually, right? Uh, because uh, that's when uh, is uh, that's the they they got you for five. Can they renegotiate with you in year four? I can't remember. Or can they extend you? When can they extend you? I think I'm they can. Sure. I think they can extend you in year four, if I'm not mistaken, or they can use your your fifth year option. But I mean, you're you're right. He eventually, if this continues and Zim stays here, he eventually is going to say, "Hold on a second here. I'm probably a top five guy at my position in this league, and I'm not." getting the ball that much compared to to what I should, I'm not going to get paid as much. So at some point, he's going to come to the same conclusion Diggs did, which is I'm really damn good and should be thrown to a lot more. Deep in his heart, he's also, uh, Cousins also looks for Thielen first, generally, unless it's a, unless it's a Jefferson-specific play. Uh, so that's, that's the other issue that uh, I think that was part of Diggs' issue, too, right? That uh, he wasn't the the one and only star on that team. You had the other guys. Yes. It is funny, though. I was reading the grand ball did something on, a, on it and just a few graphs, but I was reading the comments from Viking fans. Who cares about Diggs? He was never any good. Blah, blah, blah. He's just about himself. He was all about himself on the day of the Minneapolis miracle, wasn't he? He was all about himself, baby. Have you ever it's, seen a uh, fan base that that turns on like you know like Diggs right. is unbelievable? I love stuff. Ah, oh, screw him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Percy oh. Harvin. Uh, yeah, oh, per- he might be the MVP of the league. Well, what an idiot! In his case, they were right. By the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, he quit out in midseason. Though. He was you know nine games. And, yeah, but early in the, early in that year, he was going to be the MVP. And uh, by the end of the year, he what he basically refused to play. Hey, did so? Uh, they they are an interesting breed of cat, aren't they? They should. Uh, oh, receivers are great. They should be. They should be NBA stars, is what they should be, because <laughs> they got the same attitude about life as the NBA stars. Yeah, so. yeah, they want the damn ball. Well, and their their thing too is is they cannot control their success, and I think yes. it drives them crazy. Yeah, and, and you know if they if they hand you the ball as Dalvin Cook, now you need a little help, but you can pretty much dictate what happens next. If you're a receiver yep. running open twenty yards down the field, and uh, they over and they overthrow you, uh, you know all you can do is complain, right? I tell you, we've said it many times, but there was nothing more fun than Mass Moss and Carter. Both running to the sidelines to see who could bitch at Culpepper first. It was <laughs> They basically, it was basically, they, they had the young quarterback. They wanted to be the star. I don't think deep in their hearts they liked each other. And, uh, you know, they would, they'd run off the sideline and go looking for Culpepper to, I was open, you idiot. You know, it was great. I think Carter won. Uh, I think Carter won won the race the most because how how many times did Fox catch him going apoplectic on a quarterback or you know an OC or a coach or somebody? Yes. Oh yeah, he was great. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, I, I was thinking about. It. I looked up to see what the record was for uh, when I saw Diggs at a hundred already. What the single season record was? It's one hundred and forty three. Marvin Harrison, who had a pretty good quarterback at that. And uh, 
but so it's not he's not going to get there. But a, a, I was in Buffalo the day that it was Buffalo, right? When he didn't get the record, or was it Cincinnati? When uh, they lost the oh Cincinnati the season. Ninety-five, and, and, and then Cincinnati and was it Art Monk? Art Monk went past him that day. Yeah, I don't remember that, season. but I, I recall Somebody that game. Passed him up for the single season, and they didn't feed him the ball enough in the second half, and he was a complete jerk. Right? Mm-hmm. Remember that? That was uh, it. Was Cincinnati? I guess it was. I, w- I was at that game, and that was Chris and full pout. But I once wrote a column about how we didn't properly appreciate him and Randall, right? That we didn't put him in the same category as even Ahmad then at that time. And, you know, the, we didn't put Randall in the same category as we put the Purple People leaders and those guys. And Carter and I were tight for like five years because I, I wrote something about he, he didn't get enough. You know, he did, I wouldn't say respect, but we didn't give him enough. We didn't give him enough adulation beyond respect. And, it was just a, ah, what the heck, this will stir up the folks column. So I wrote that <laughs> and made us buddies forever, you know, so it was good. He was so transparent. I, I remember when I, I remember he was, uh, what was the Super Bowl in Detroit the second time? Oh, whatever. Oh, five, oh, five, right? Da- oh, five. And Dante had the terrible year, but yep. Chile just, they hadn't ran him out yet. Right. And I remember. Yep. Carter was there doing TV, and uh, I had a sit-down with him, and he was really good for about 45 minutes. But his analysis of Dante was he he had the least self-confidence of a great athlete that he'd ever been around. He had that. He did not have, you know, he did not have that inward confidence, even though – and he, he compensated for that by being flamboyant and, uh, you know, making it look like him, driving the big car and, and being loud and and trying to look like he had confidence. But but uh, Carter said deep inside he didn't have it. Interesting. Which Boston Carter didn't have that same problem. That's no, right. Randy. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not for one second. Hey, did, did no. you see uh, Zim's press conference on Wednesday? Uh. I it, saw the reports on it. I didn't see it. It was very, very short. Very, very, uh, uh, his answers were curt, and he is wound as tight as possible. I am very curious to see how this team comes out against the Bears. This this reminded me, Pat, of before uh, Chile would play the Patriots and Belichick. As far as I think this guy, I think Zim is wound so tight th- this week that there's a good chance that those guys are going to come out on Sunday with their hands around their neck. Well, they're coming off a week in which Trubisky looked okay, but the Khalil Mack, Mack was engaged again, and Akeem Hicks is back, and I think he's afraid of Akeem Hicks kicking their ass from tackle to tackle, yeah. and then they can't run. And then, and, you know, those. I think that would be his fear that the offense is going to sputter. I don't think he's afraid the Bears are going to come in and move up and down the field with this guy throwing. But uh, did, I think the Bears, didn't I read they, one of their good offensive linemen is not going to play too? So they're, you know, if they lose, it'll be 16 to 13. Oh, it'll be an awful game, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, because Bailey will miss an extra point. So but that's what's got Zim. 13, so. I think the kicker's driving him nuts now. Like he finally thought, I've got this problem solved, right? I got it licked. My kicker can make yeah. field goals and PATs, and now he's he's pulling stuff right that's going, you know, not just sort of off. It's so far off, it's not. It's just a joke. Well, today is his speech that I was praying last night at the end of the Chargers, the regulation, the Chargers-Raiders game. Did you were you watching? Yes, I was. They watching. were going to have Daniel Carlson try a sixty-five yarder. Oh yeah, I tweeted and, that. I was yeah. I was praying that he made a sixty-five yarder. And somebody next time they Zim, did you see Carlson made a sixty-five <laughs> yarder? How did you get rid of him, Zim? Wouldn't that have been that great? Is, as Bailey's melting down, know, <laughs> and I know, you know crazy SOB that you are and uh, yeah. and and the point and the fan base all said we have to get rid of this kid he has no confidence in games but in retrospect how did Spielman let him get away with that because I I mean you just you just drafted this guy yeah. you know he's got a great leg you can you can Give him a chance for another week or two before you Pat, just dump him. Pat Zim had Again, him really. so ruined. But by the end of training camp, forget the Packer game. By the end of that training camp, that kid was so mentally bleeped it was off the charts. Why he ever drafted him a kicker, I'll never get. Like uh, yeah, for that a, guy, I, the most, the one depressing thing for Viking fans today would have been early last yesterday, last night, today is reading that Zim had a talk with Bailey. <laughs> oh, yeah. He would have said, if he would have just said, I haven't talked to him, I'm going to let him go kick. Then I'd give, I think he could be more optimistic about him making a kick on Sunday. So. Yeah, his talk was but just. I, I really do think they made the right decision. I mean, it was the only decision they could make here, right? I mean, where, where are you going to go I don't and know. find? Right. It, all these guys have kickers on their roster now so there's not as many of those guys floating around yep. as normal and it's it's week 13 when did your full pull the uh when was the last time they pulled the plug during the season did they carlson did they switch one after week two and yeah but i mean 18. did they switch one late did they ever switch one late in the year they never really switched blair Wal- late was blair year. walsh halfway through the season that they pulled the plug and brought in kai forbath i think that was about halfway through that season yeah, but practice squads weren't as big then, because of COVID. Practice squads now, to what you're saying, yes. are bigger and they're protecting kickers. Hey, hey, yeah, they got they can protect what one player. On yeah, the practice squad one player a week, I think. But is Walsh anybody's practice squad kicker, or did he go get a job as a barista someplace? I think he's, he's in a room somewhere. A rubber he had that room. barista look to him, huh? What? I said, I think he's probably in a rubber room somewhere after what Zim did to him. Who who gave him a chance? Seattle. Seattle. Chance, right after he left here? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Atlanta did too, I think. I, I just don't know. Those suits he wore made me nervous. Just even when he kicked those tight little suits. Forbath did too. Tight suits. Yeah. Hey, do, do you know who, whose life I, I want to see? I've decided that's why I don't like TPJ. Tight suits. Tight. Oh, PJ's so, a very tight, thin, well-dressed man. Suits and 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 not the pants. Hey. You know, I want the pants to go down to the ankle, right? Like they're supposed to, not up there at the Sochoni shin. So that that's 
I guess I decided that's why I don't like PJ. Saturday is, Patrick, a one-game championship season against the Badgers, yes. okay? That's a one-game championship. It's a great it opportunity. I think it is a great opportunity to bring the axe on because Wisconsin's terrible lately. They're, they, they've scored seven points three weeks in a row, right? They're, uh, they're oh, yeah, they can't score. Offensively, so. They can't score. Oh, they have a running back. Yeah. First time since before Ron Dane that they don't have a running back. So they, uh, why do they have to make – they're playing the championship game at 11, right? Northwestern Ohio State. Yes. So that's why everybody else has to play late in the day. Three of the seven – off the are done though, right? Three of the seven Big Ten games aren't being played this week. Right? Yeah, I think that's right. Think three out of seven. Yeah, they just gassed. They get just gassed Michigan State, Maryland. Uh, Michigan State might have called and said, eh, "We don't want to do this. What do we want to?" No bowls, Pat. Like the high, these are like the high school teams when they put started putting everybody in the high school tournament. So then the eight seed in the some some section always had to go get its ass kicked by a team that had already beat it fifty to nothing. You know that yeah. was worse. Nothing worse than having to play a football game. You have no chance to win. No bowl games. Play the college football playoff. No bowl games. Get rid of the rest of these damn bowl I games. I think they're going to keep. Uh, I think we're going to keep losing them as we go along. Here, Good. that's for sure. Good. So the T Wolves, by all accounts, uh, look like a Jared Culver. Jared Culver making shots. What the hell? I watched the <laughs> entire thing. I watched the entire thing. Jared Culver. I don't have FSN. Good. Was it on FSN? Yes, it yes. was. Yes, it was. You are out of luck. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not. I'm not willing to go back on my hands and knees to Comcast after they got $300 a month out of me for five years. Yeah, but, that's... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to become a sports bar guy, I guess. I don't know. Once the COVID's over, I'll have to go <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to... Yeah, don't... You can't now no, become a sports yeah, bar guy. I don't know. So, I'm going to be at the game Wednesday, the opener, so that's... I can do that, but... Uh, uh, Beyond that, I, I don't the know Wolves, a lot. The, the Wolves G League guys looked great because that that's basically the group that brought them back. I think they were down by something like 18 points, 20 points, and they came back. The the uh, backup guys were fantastic. Hey, last well, thing. That's that's good. One thing, NHL, what's the deal? They've got nope. a date oh, yet? God. No, and they might kick all the Canadian teams now out of Canada because of the traveling restrictions between the provinces, and so they might actually have they, – they're talking about oh, the – Oh, you can't go from Manitoba to Saskatchewan. I guess that's a problem, and so now there's talk about possibly taking all – Don't they know it's hockey? They're going to have to have a special meeting in the parliament up there. It's well, hockey. It, it's a mess. Man, well, baseball and hockey are a complete mess, Pat. Pat, there, there's the a – The only thing you got going for it, hockey and moose. That's right. That's all you got going up there. And beer. Pat, apparently uh, some Wild fans really want them to bring back Mikhail Granlin because Zuccarello's out indefinitely. So they're 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 because Granlin's still a free agent. And he's still you know twenty seven, twenty eight years old, and they think he could plug in and, and play here with uh, Zuccarello being out. Yeah, he had. Uh, he'll give you two good two three weeks once in a while. Yeah, exactly. Great Olympic players for floats for two three more months. The Andrew yeah. Wiggins on ice. I, We've never had that much luck with Finlanders, if you ask me. That's I probably mean, true. Koivu, I mean, Koivu, he was... Backstrom, he, right? We're probably going to we're gonna have to retire his jar jersey, but a great defender. No, we don't. Uh, Backstrom, yeah, he was a good goalie. 
But he was actually a Swede. He just his family just happened to live in Finland. <laughs> hey, last thing. So I figured out whose life I want. James Harden's. Who? James Harden's life. What did he do last night? I don't care. That that piece that ESPN.com had, that's the life I want. You know, I've always that's always been my nickname for my wife when I've tried agitator i say what's going on honey bun and and now i find out a honey bun is a hundred grand bundle cat. i didn't know that was a honey bun but boy i wish i had a friend who give me just one honey <laughs> i didn't either how about that how about that nobody wears a watch anymore but you buy a guy a watch for way over a hundred grand and then you throw a hundred grand in the in the Seven thousand dollar bag. That's a friend. I need a friend like James Harden. That's the well, life I want. Case. I want. To I be- did not realize that that he he'd shower up after a game. If they had two days off, he'd fly. And he'd say, "See you, fellas. Get out of the shower. Go to the airport. Fly private to Vegas." You think we're going to be? He's making so much. Maybe not. But you think the next. If you ESPN still doing 30 for 30, 12 years ago about broke athletes, you think James has got a chance to be in there? Oh, I think just a slight chance, yeah. Just a small <laughs> chance. I don't know. No matter how much money you got, rent a private plane to go to Vegas every time you get a day off and then giving people honey bun. The honey bun thing it's to me, yeah. Be, you know what I want for Christmas? One honey bun. That's all one I want for Christmas. Bun. One honey bun. I don't, I'm not going to get greedy. I don't need to. I want one honey bun. I got news for my honey bun. She ain't getting a honey bun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roycey. We'll uh, talk to you next week. See you later. I'll see you. Bye.